What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your weekly tabletop gaming, nerdy, whatever I feel like podcast, where I chat with cool, creative people about the cool, creative things they are doing. Uh, it's been an over a year now of the show, which is pretty exciting because every week I get to have cooler and cooler guests coming on. And I'm super excited for our guest today. We'll get to him in just a moment. Some real quick business before we get started. As you guys know, this show is brought to you by my awesome friends at Hero Forge. If you love making custom miniatures for your tabletop games, Hero Forge is the place to go because they are literally every week releasing new content, new options, new capabilities on their platform at heroforge.com to make almost anything you can think of. I mean, the level of control you have is ridiculous. And you can even 3D print in color now. You can paint your mini on their software. It will print in color, show up at your door. It's kind of mind blowing. Uh, We're living in the future and it's pretty great. But they support the show and they make it happen. So big thanks to them. Make sure you check them out. Heroforge.com. Buy a mini. Buy me a mini. Buy someone a mini. I don't care. Just buy minis. Um, It's super helpful to them and obviously helpful to the show. So big thank you to them for supporting this program. And now let's not, you know, chat any longer. Let's get into it with conversation for today. I'm very excited to have uh, my guest here today. He, shoot, what hasn't he done? Uh, we're just going to say it. Freddie Wong, Freddie Wong is here. Freddie has done, uh, you were one of the original YouTube superstars, if you will. Not original, original, I will say. The second, I think actually, if, technically, the I think the fourth generation, If for the people who are like really hardcore into it, because the first generation, right? Yeah. There's this, I remember someone talking about that back in the day was like, they're like, yeah, yeah, you have your Smosh, you have your, you know, your, your uh, Ryan Higa's, you know, sort of that era. And then we were yeah. li- uh, then sort of the third generation was your mystery guitar man kind of era, the sort of like individual career. And then oh, we came yeah. in kind of fourth generation, which is after the mystery guitar man era. Smosh and those guys were probably arguably second generation. Then the first generation are the very, very, very original, like even proto YouTuber, even things guys like uh, the, 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 the pocket bell cannon and D guitar guy and all that stuff, you know? Oh, geez. Fourth generation, technically. Yeah. Yeah, So like my my original memory of YouTube was, I mean, early on. So what what it launched in what, like, oh, five, oh, six, something like that. And I think my original memory, I was super into making uh, like basketball mixtapes, you know, on (laughs) online on online forums, uh, like taking NBA videos and stuff. And there was no, it was so hard to get like clips. What were you using for that? Dude, at that time, like a movie movie maker. Yeah. Where were you pulling clips from? So early on, you would get uh, you would get rips from Russia, like you would torrent like like streams oh. of the games from Russia, or you would like screen capture the really bad like three twenty by two forty like Chinese uh, you know streams Whoa. on all the different sites. And so then I'm like, I found the site called YouTube where people started uploading clips, and I was like, what is going on? Um, so that was how I found YouTube. And then flash forward to like 2010, uh, and we'll get to Freddie's full introduction later because we're just going into it. Like 2010, I think was when you dropped the the portal gun video. Yep. yep. Uh, March, March 2010. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of one of the first videos I saw that was like. Where did you remember where you YouTube? saw it? Like where where I found it? Yeah. That is a good question. Okay, I, I remember it distinctly because I was sitting in the cafeteria at college. And I think, <laughs> dude, I think honestly, I think I was just searching for portal shit on. No kidding. So yeah, I don't think it was like a mag- yeah, It wasn't, yeah. it was organic. It that wasn't was like a, That was a video at that time. I think it got a lot of traction on like gaming blogs. Like a, the, I remember Kotaku. I, I don't quite, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but I remember, I remember Kotaku 
and by the way, just to give an example of like how things shifted, I think Kotaku sent at that time like 150,000 views over. And then by sort of the closer to the end of my tenure on YouTube, like a Kotaku link would send like 10,000. Like that's how much it changed in in the course of those few years. That's crazy. It's funny though, because I did, I was like, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to talk with Freddie, I need to go back and like rewatch some of the stuff. And like, (laughs) I I, I looked at, so I went all the way back on rocket jump. I was like, yeah, I remember that one. Uh, the aimbot one was one I really liked the, the flower uh, where you're shooting like the petals and the flowers. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of people found us through the, those are, you actually kind of named kind of the three major entry points. The fourth one being future first person shooter yeah. uh, over the course of that first year. But a lot of people found us from the flower one because I believe uh, Phil DeFranco at the time linked to us from there. And Phil DeFranco, third generation YouTuber, uh, was was uh, was a, was pretty big in terms of getting folks over to, to see that one. And that one which just sort of visually was very distinct. Um, yeah. yeah. Wild times. Well, it, it was weird because I realized like at some point I stopped like being active on the internet and I realized that looking at a timeline of your videos, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the last one I remember watching. So for instance, I never heard of video game high school until like <laughs> a year ago because I literally stopped like following anything on YouTube. Yeah. Um, that, like that's, two that's, weeks before you guys announced yeah, it. Yeah, that was the pa- that was the pattern that we saw. You know, I think when yeah. when people create stuff, they think about I think they were blind to the way that we, we ourselves even consume things. Sure. So a lot of people are like, you know, a lot of people will see something, they'll, they'll stick with it and then they just move on. There's tons of other stuff to watch online. So very rarely do you actually, do I have, have I ever actually run into someone who's like, yeah, I've watched every YouTube video. It's always like they start somewhere and then they end somewhere. And it really just depends on how old they are, what else they have going on in their life. Uh, It's interesting. And so, you know, I think talking to some of my friends who, you know, coming from the YouTube side, a lot of them are like, oh, I'm losing you know, viewers are they're dropping off and it's like, I don't know, man, I think that just happens. Like even me myself, I'm like, yeah, I can't even name anything that I really watched that long. And I kind of move on from like, honestly, these days it's like, I watch a lot of cooking channels on YouTube. There's a lot of good yeah. cooking food stuff. But then even then I kind of get a hankering sometimes to be like, I mean, I should do a cooking channel or do it some random. That's like kind of like my weird dream right now is to be like, maybe yeah. I should just go and just do, cause there's definitely a format to YouTube now. Whereas right. when, when we were doing it in 2010 to like 2014, 2015, kind of the height of it, there really wasn't a format to it. It was a real free form place. Like you could have, you could sustain having people doing like stuff like us. Like one of the things that was crazy is looking back at some of our old videos and like some of them are like, most of them are like under two minutes. A lot of them are just yeah. over a minute. Nobody can, you can't do that these days uh, because of the way, you know, the algorithm pushes towards for, for viewability, for numbers, for all that stuff. It's like everything is, it's a 10 to 15 minute long video. Right. They're taking a break at some point to do a built in ad read for some, you know, it's like, uh, this video is brought to you by Squarespace or honey or whatever. They're doing it in person. And everybody skips, Casper. everyone skips right over it. So it's like a right. weird podcast thing, but so it's like, part of me wants to be like, Hey, I, I kind of like the idea of these kind of free form 10 minute long videos, but my, my pitch would be, I would never ask you to subscribe and I would never take any subscription, like ad read stuff because I'm like, I already did it. I won. Yeah. I yeah. already <laughs> was at the top of the mountain. I don't need, I don't care. I don't, you right. want to watch, I'll, I'll mention it once in the first video. I'm like, by the way, I'm never going to ask you to subscribe. I could give a shit if you subscribe right. because what do I need? I don't need your subscriptions. I already saw the top of this mountain. I know what it's like up there. It's fine. Yeah. 
And yeah, then once once like, you climb Everest, it's not like you're like, man, what? You know, I missed something while I was up there. I should go back up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. How many two-time Everest climbers are there other exactly. than the poor Sherpas who have to do it for, for a living? But then the other side of the two would be like, oh, oh, you want to get a sponsorship? No, I don't want. I don't want your money. You can pay me directly, and I won't mention you. How's that? And then we'll see if they take the deal. <laughs> anyway. And, well, then the, I would just, the, and then I would just use it to just springboard off all my weird hobbies. All your different and, ideas, yeah. Yeah, all my dumb, stupid, weird ideas. And it's like, look, it might, got, it might not go anywhere, but at the same time, I definitely, I feel like I just don't have anything to prove on YouTube anymore. So it's like, for whatever, sure. move on. <laughs> well, and so, you know, for people uh, who might not be familiar with your YouTube career, I think a lot of my listeners are probably most familiar with uh, what you've been doing recently with Dungeons and Daddies. Yeah. Um, We've had Beth on the show a couple times. Yeah. Podcasting, which is, which is a whole, and and I'd love to get your thoughts on that, but it's a whole different, it's just such a different ball game. It still very much feels like the wild west, even, even currently with, you know, Spotify making aggressive moves to like kind of try and own the industry in many ways. Um, But we'll we'll get to that in a second. So, so Dungeons and Daddies is a story of four dads flung into the forgotten realms on a quest to rescue their lost kids. Yep. As I believe how you put it. Um, It's a fantastic, fantastic show. Like I'm, I'm, such a huge fan. I support your Patreon and all that. Oh, thank you. Which, by the way, side note, bro, open up one $50 spot because I, I can <laughs> we, refresh we that to, page we need so to frequently. T- we're trying to, t- probably not as much as you're refreshing for uh, for a PS5, but oh, we, are, we are trying, we, we need to figure that out because we're at a point where we're at a point where we need to figure out whether or not, like how to do it. Because one of the perks is obviously doing is, is and you hear about it on the main show sometimes is doing these one shot campaigns with Anthony. Yeah. But at a certain point we can't, it's like too it's much. Too yeah. much. It's just way too, because, because I'll talk, because I'll tell you one of the things that was, one of the things I didn't anticipate was how much globally we have people uh, listening to the show. So when it comes time to schedule those, I have the most complicated Excel sheet open of everybody's time zones. I feel like I'm in math class in right. high school again because I'm like, okay, this person's in Eastern Australia. This person's in Croatia. This per- Okay, so I'm going to lump together the East Coast with the Europeans and then New Zealand's going to come in, but they're going to be on the day after. So this person is going to come in on Sunday in the morning, but for everyone else, it's going to be evening on Saturday. It's like literally, and then trying to figure out and then be like, okay, wait, okay, they're not available at this time. So we have to get like, it's such yeah. a difficult like math <laughs> problem of trying to match everyone up into a group that they can be at a reasonable time for it's it's very difficult so we need to figure something out we're, we're looking at that but yeah <laughs> well it's definitely been and it was funny um because a friend of mine my my dm for my D game uh told me about your show i don't know i think you were probably like 10 episodes in or something at the time and i was like wait freddie like the, the youtube guy and that's how i love i don't know so that's that's the first time i that's the first reason i had to listen i was like i know he's entertaining oh, interesting yeah, yeah um but then obviously like fell in love with the show but what I'm really curious about uh, is your approach to the show as a content creator. And actually, yeah. you know what, for people, for people who haven't listened, I've heard you tell a story before cause I, I hear it on, on talking dads or whatever, but w- what was kind of the, the origination of the show, you know, in a quick nutshell, so people know where it came from. Yeah. So the origination was, so the origination was, it was father's day a couple of years back, Anthony and I were in Arizona uh, driving around in a rental car, Anthony, his wife and I, and we were, um, and we were just talking about just shooting the breeze on the way back to the airport. And like, I think, and, and then I think it's just because father's fatherhood was on the mind because it was father's yeah. day. I think it was like one of us made the observation. Like, you know, what's wild is like all the father archetypes are D and D archetypes. And the one that I remember very specifically we were talking about was like, yeah, like the aggro 
coach dad is like a barbarian, right? right? And we're like, yeah. And then like the druids are just like, you know, uh, 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 granola hippies. Um, coming from Seattle, I knew quite a few Volvo driving granola sure. Birkenstock wearing hippies, right? And so, like, oh, that's really funny. And then we, and then I think that was just very loosely sketched out in that moment. It was just like, okay, yeah, you know, it's funny. What if there was like a D and D thing, and everyone plays like a dad, but it's like, but anyway, I think, and we've stepped away from it a little bit on the show now. But like, oh yeah, and there's, there's no, they, they just are those dads, and we try and like morph all the D and D things into quote-unquote dad powers right. and this kind of worked because right dads as a thing is a thing right the idea of like you know uh, uh, uh the idea of like dad jokes which cause psychic damage right. i think anthony was like early on with that it's like oh yeah then you gotta roll d4 for that all of these ideas early on was like that was like the the, the basis of it and then when we came when we got back, we're like, all right, let's just give this a shot. Let's try and pilot that. Let's just see what this sounds like. Let's grab some of our folks who we know are very funny, have good chemistry together. Anthony, I had heard stories about as a DM, as a legend already. So I was like, Anthony, you have to. I think Anthony was like, oh, are you going to DM this? I'm like, no, 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 Anthony, you got to DM this. You're the, you have the reputation. He had, re he had a story, which I've told before, but he had a story where he had run like a year-long, I think it was a fate system campaign, mm -hmm with um friends of ours and the finale of it you know they were going after this magical orange orb and it yeah, was this whole yeah. thing and the finale of it was he had made them all space jam jerseys and he said all right if you guys decide to do this like this next step here like we're gonna open this bag up and you're gonna get something inside if not we'll go out in the back and burn burn everything in this bag right now and what it was was they all lost their powers to the Monstars and they played a version of Space Jam. It was all just an elaborate right. setup payoff for a Space Jam joke. And I'm like, that's the kind of insane DM energy that I frankly, I don't see yeah, in the yeah. world of, of Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. You know, and I've done a lot of listening to pretty much every tabletop role playing thing. You know, I would listen to a pilot. I would listen to like the, somewhere in the middle, try to get a sense of what everyone was doing. And I was, you know, keeping track of being like, what are they, what are they doing really well? What are things that I think we could do differently? And that was kind of like the research into it. And one of the things I noticed was like a lot of them, you know, everyone was, you know, there's, there's a, there's a love for the systems. And I think one of the things that Anthony and I share is a sort of like, we kind of don't like in a way we like, we love D and D, but we also kind of hate D, &D right. which kind of gets into this theory i have which is i think that anything good you have to love it but you also have to kind of hate it a little bit because if you love something way too much you just are in love with it and then you just do everything and you march to those orders right. a little bit because you love it which is and there's nothing wrong with that but i do think that there's nothing wrong with hating a hating a thing a little bit because then you can be like okay because i hate this i want to do it this way because i think this is a better way of doing it right. and you wouldn't work and if you really just hated it you wouldn't care about i think this is a better way you would just not ignore you would just ignore it entirely yeah. so i think you need to have a little bit of little bit of both a little bit of yin yang sort of like you know <laughs> spice there, there's to, certain to, value to, to, in to being make like an appropriate amount of jaded right yeah a little bit you know and i think it's important to balance it of course but in the in, in in the case of like tabletop role playing stuff, there was a little bit of that going into it, which we were like, okay, we like, uh, I just I I you know because I, I I you know I, again I love a lot of these other D and D podcasts. There's definitely things where I'm like, man, combat is generally a slog sure. for a, a lot of them. It's like, was there any way we can get around doing a bunch of combat? And, and it's something that we think about constantly, even you know even to this day when we do a combat episodes, we're like, okay, is there a way to do that faster? Should we do this instead? Like you know, and and trying to figure out like the rules of like how to make 
how to make it entertaining. You know, and I think that the, the, the goal first and foremost with the podcast is making an entertaining show above all else, you know? And I think that, you know, I think that, you know, there's multiple ways to approach a D&D podcast, right? And if, and by the way, and I think this is a totally valid approach. If your approach is you want to just be able to have an excuse to give people a reason to show up weekly or bi-weekly for your games yeah. and not have everyone excuse out, doing a podcast is a good way of doing it. Forces them on, right? Because that was a reason to do it. Um, but the needs of a D&D game that's entertaining for you, the player, oftentimes are not necessarily the same needs as a show that's trying to be entertaining for a listening audience. Right. Right. So early on, you know, talking to um, some of our friends who all, you know, also do audio drama and, and podcast stuff, you know, I got some very helpful notes from uh, a friend of ours, Chad Ellis, yeah, who yeah. does, does a number of uh, editing and does his own uh, station blue, blue yeah. as an audio drama podcast. You know, one of the things he suggested early on was he was like, why do you guys bother with AC? I was like, that's a good point. The thing, a person rolls a dice and it just hits. I, every D&D podcast that I've listened to has this moment where it goes, okay, oh, and what's your AC? 17? Okay, so now it hits. It's like, who cares? Like, as a li person listening, do I re am I really tracking it? I'm just wanting to know if that number hits or not. Yeah. So in that first episode, he, he heard like an early draft of the first episode. I was like, that's a good point. So I deleted all the references to AC because I'm like, yeah, you don't need it. It's just the roll the dice and it hits. And for someone who plays the game, you do need it, right? And that little bit of, bit of conversation as a DM and player is is interesting and fun when you're playing it. But if you're just listening, you're trying to just get into it, it's it it oftentimes is this little piece of information that's repeated that's not necessary. I think a lot of my thinking and a lot of the the, the sort of experience I have with film editing and trying to think about like how do you get information across efficiently comes into play for Dungeons and Daddies in terms of our approach for it. Now, is it the right approach? I don't know. It, probably not. Who cares? Because at the end of the day, it's what I think is interesting and that's what I'm putting out there. It's what we, it's, you know, it's what we're trying to make an entertaining show first and foremost, you know? And, and I think that kind of segues into uh, my question I was going to bring up about intentionality because um, mm -hmm. a lot, lots of times, especially in like the actual play space, but I mean, say, say for anything, YouTube, TikTok, whatever kind of like social facing platform there is, people go into it with this idea of like, I want to share a thing and that's kind of like, that's the end thought, like the end goal in their mind right, is to right, publish right, a thing right, right. and they don't have like an end plan. I've, I've talked about on my show a few times and I'm by, you know, by no means some sort of hyper successful show, but I have achieved a level of success in the first year that was what I was aiming for because I went right, into it with right, a very right. specific plan of like, okay, this is the kind of content I'm going to make. This is how I need to produce it. This is how I need to market it. And these are going to be kind of like my milestones to let me know whether or not I was successful because I'm not just going to keep doing it because I love it so much. I want to do it because I want to make a yeah, successful thing. Yeah. So what was yeah. your approach kind of a, like, it seems to me like you probably have that similar mindset to some degree, just based on the amount of intentionality you show in your production. Yeah. I think, I think when you're talking ever about putting a creative thing online, you're talking about public exposition, expo, uh, public sort of, uh, exposure to some degree. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, because if you weren't, you would just do it and then you would just have it, right? If, if you really, you know, because I, I, and I think that if you're going to get into that conversation, you will not be successful unless you do a couple of things. Remember, I think first and foremost, you need to have an idea of what success looks like in your mind. Because if your idea of success of doing like, you know, I'm just going to use podcast example. If your idea of success is in terms of the podcast is just getting your friends together to record, 
then great. You've achieved your success, right? You sure. get that. Uh, if your idea of success is to be like, I want to be listened to. I want to be popular. I want to have people find my show. There's nothing embarrassing about that. And there's, and there's no reason why you can't have that on your, on your mind. But given that you need to be able to be one realistic about those numbers, but then also two have an understanding of, are you making positive steps towards that? You need to have a degree of detachment from it to be like, okay, am I actually, is this actually going somewhere? So like, you know, with, yeah. with Dungeons and Daddies very early on, you know, as, as you know, we talking to Anthony, I was like, look, there's a, there's a world where, you know, and there's a world where this doesn't go anywhere, in which case let's just have, you know, five or six episodes. We'll have a good time and have a little self-contained storyline and we can put it together and I'll put the time in and, and we'll have a fun time making it and it'll, we'll just put it out. And if it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't go anywhere. That's fine. Um, you know, and, and I think that for us by, I think about, you know, it, it was seeing enough momentum early on, you know, and, and we, 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 and by the way, I have a benefit on this. I have a pretty good Twitter following. I have an, a sure. little bit more than your average sort of totally starting from nowhere. And this thing. isn't your first podcast. You've story break as well. Yeah. So we've done some podcasts before. And, and so, you know, I think that it's, it's tough and it's really hard to, to and it's, it's, it's also really hard to know when to be like, Hey, is this working or not? But you need to have an idea of what that is. And you have to look at your peers and sort of similar things to, to judge that off of. So for us very early on, it was like, okay, let's get to this first story arc. And if it doesn't feel like it's ever, it's really going anywhere and we're not having a good time or whatever, that's fine. We're done. Um, and I think early on for me personally, there was a goal of like, we need looking at Patreon. We had talked to Patreon in the past for YouTube stuff and being like looking at Patreon, seeing how podcasts do on it, seeing how well podcasts do on it in general. It was like, okay, pretty much within the first six months of this, right? Six months, 12 sessions, uh, we need to start having a path to getting people paid on it was a very important thing for me because there's an acknowledgement, especially at, at, at sort of at, you know, I'm, I'm 34 at my level. It's like, I can't ask people to do stuff without paying them for that sure. long. It's just not fair. And it's just like, that's just not the way it works. You know, I'm, I'm and I felt that very strongly, even in you know, sort of the rocket jump and the YouTube days, you know, it's like, listen, you're doing something and you're trying to make something happen. It's like, we're adults. We have time. Time is important to people. You need to pay that. Right. Um, so that was very important early on to be like, okay, we need to get Patreon going and we need to see how this goes. And, and so having that approach, I think is vitally important to, to any, to, to sort of doing anything online. And again, if you want to just do it on your own, that's fine. Uh, but if you want to try and achieve some degree of success for it or to have people listen to it, you need to also think about how do you make this accessible to someone who does not give a shit about what you do. Um, that was something that was on our minds con and then it's something that it's a skill set, And I think it's something that you can train that you need to, to sort of keep in your back of your head. That's been something that I've been thinking about, you know, on the YouTube channel alongside, you know, my partner at the time, Brandon throughout the rocket jump days, we are always thinking about like, how, okay, how, if no one's ever heard of us, why, what, what is this? What is the thing yeah, that we're going to do yeah. to get people to click? Because you know, we do, it is an attention economy, so to speak. Right. And you, and part and, and you know, I, I've always, and I've looked at it kind of like, it's a little bit of a game, you know, to be like, okay, how do you get people in on this? How do you get people to be interested in something? It's a little bit of like carnival Barker, you know, uh, style showmanship that is important that I think you need to have because there's no such, I really, tr I truly don't believe there's such a thing anymore of Put something out there. If it's good, people will find it. No, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think so. Too much stuff. There's too much yeah. stuff out there. You know how people spend more hours on Wikipedia and Fortnite than like 
you know, right? Like any they, so what, how are you going to cut through that? So for us from the beginning of Dungeons and, and, and Daddies, the, the things that we were thinking about first and foremost was number one, how do we appeal to people who are not into D&D? Um, cause I love the D and D crowd and I think that it's a very passionate crowd of people and they're an amazing group of people and they support a bunch of shows. But for us also, it was like, I think in my mind, success was also being able to hear from people who are like, I don't really even play D and D and I found this entertaining mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I think about things on a, you know, a general entertainment level as a, as a filmmaker, as a, as a YouTube guy. You know, I, I, do, I want to appeal to outside as much as possible, as wide of an audience as possible. And that's a goal for me. And, you know, again, not necessarily everybody shares that, right? Certain musicians are like, I could care less if, about making pop songs, about listening to, you know, about getting people to like listen to it. I just want the people who I respect and the people who, you know, whatever, sure, right? Sure. So how do we get people outside of D&D first and foremost? And then number two, it was how do we get a pitch that can get because again, getting someone to listen to a podcast, good luck. Yeah. Like getting someone to watch a Netflix show is hard enough. Getting someone to listen to a podcast, maybe one of the hardest things in the world to do. The amount of people I'm like, oh, you gotta listen to this. And it's like, what, three months later, of course, they're not listening to it because well, everyone's and, got and you're not gonna have organic discovery because trying oh, no. to find a new podcast oh, no. is impossible. Just a, a, Impo- there's it, no recommendation terrible. engine. Yeah. There's no thing, hey, if you listen to this, you oh, oh, they're trying. Apple's trying, Spotify's trying, but you know, like this this is all evolving. I'm talking about right. two years ago. There wasn't that barely that and, and poorly made at, if anything. Right. So how do you get people to latch onto it? And so the thing that honestly, that little intro is about four dads from our world flung into the forgotten realms in a quest to rescue their lost sons. That's a lot. Of, and also the title, right? Dungeons and daddies. And then not a BDSM podcast. Clarification, like, yeah. the clarification and the joke there is very deliberate. Like it sets we were, the tone for what people can expect from the show. Yeah, right. And, as, and again, like, and I think, and I think, you know, you, and for those of you who are fans of the show and who are wanting to tell your friends that I, I found that this has been generally the case when you say the name of the title and you say not a BSM podcast, it almost never fails to elicit a little chuckle. There's a little bit of a joke in there already. And so it's like, we tried as hard as we could to make the first sentences out of anyone's mouth when they described it. Cause we know that word of mouth is a big pusher of podcast listens. Maybe the only real pusher of, of podcast audience listenership is word of mouth to be able to be like, here is why this is a show that you should be spending your time on at all. Right. And there's a little bit yeah. of humor into it. And it's like, I, and you can grasp the concept right away. And there's a lot, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of shows that do a really good job of this, right? Like I think bombarded does a great job of, giving you what it is about and why you should listen to it. Right. Like if you can't, if you can't sum it up, it's going to be harder to get into it. Right. Bombard is great. It's like, Oh, they're all musicians. They all play bards and they write songs every episode. Right? Cool. I get yeah. it. I know what yeah. it is and I know why. I, and I know why that's interesting. If it's, it's less about you, Freddie, having to explain what it is to other people. It's about equipping your listeners to be able yes, to easily 100%. say here, like this yes, is what it 100%. is. 100%. So, so then if someone's like, you know, and then, you know, if a D&D show or a tabletop show is like, well, it's about these five folks and they're really funny and they're playing like this camp. It's like already it's like you've lost me. Yeah. You, you need to be, you have to be snappy with it because nobody, nobody cares about podcasts. <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to listen to a new podcast. You're putting it on them. Right. So yeah. you need to kind of have a sales pitch. And that was something that was very important for us for, for Dungeons and Daddies, which was like, you know, and I think there's in like literally in my head, it's like, okay, there's the title as a joke. You get the concept. And then there's even follow-up sentences. You're like, yeah. And there's a guy who's like a coach and he's a barbarian. So it's like, and then you get the idea of the dad archetypes and stuff. And right. you need to, I, I think you need to equip people with as much as you can 
try to try and get it to if you want it to spread out a little bit and that was the goal very much early on in terms of the thinking of this did you what level of success did you anticipate and obviously you probably didn't go i expect we'll have x number of patrons by whatever date but but did you kind of have in your mind you know what in a year i i bet with my knowledge and history we would be blank so I don't, so one of the things, so I, what I don't try and do is I don't try and be like, I have to hit X number by whatever, because I've, I've spent enough time doing online, popular online stuff that it's weird. It's really weird. Sometimes stuff goes, yeah. sometimes stuff doesn't go. You have to allow for a little bit of chaos into sure. it. What you, what is important though, <laughs> it's like the Supreme Court definition of pornography. I'll know it when I see you it. You know when you see you it. You need yeah. to know, you need to know what success is when you see it. So for us, it was like, okay, what is success? And then you can kind of like figure out what, where you are at in your journey based on that. So for us early on, you know, the three, you just look at the three granddaddies of this genre, which would be Critical Role, The Adventure Zone, and NADPOD. And so looking at NADPOD's uh, uh, Patreon and being like, okay, that's about where they're at. Um, and that was like, again, trying to find as much information as possible. The other one that I tried to figure out as, as hard as I could was mission to Zix as a mm -hmm. improvised comedy, high production value, uh, audio. I got really into that, trying to find their interviews and be like, how many downloads are they getting a month? That was the number I was like right. hunting for. And then once I knew that it was like this, and I think, I, I think it was an interview that said something that were like 40,000 an episode or something like that was like, kind of what I'm like, okay, knowing that then I can be like, okay, so we're at this about this relative to these other shows. So yeah. it, it's less about setting goals. To me, I think it's less about setting explicit goals for yourself, but more about knowing what your surroundings are like and knowing where you are in that. And then asking yourself, is that, are we okay with that? You know, are you okay with being, are you happy with being at this level or at the, you know, and what does the trajectory look like? So, you know, I think that that was, that was the goal right there, which was to be like, okay, we want to be a DD podcast, you know, and the, the metrics that we have in, in, in podcast world is number of reviews, which is like, okay, Twitter followers, which is like a little bit, not quite because if you're a yeah. Twitter follower, doesn't necessarily mean you're listening or whatever, right? Like that, not nah, a little, but they're all, they're all like numbers that get you, it's like the blind, right? Like there's that, there's that Hindu or sorry, that Buddhist parable of like the, 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 the blind men and the elephant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the idea of like, it's, it's a group of, you know, of, of blind folks touching an elephant and they'll get very different ideas of what it is, but they're all right. just trying to figure out what this elephant is. Yeah. That's what podcasts and metrics and numbers are, right? It's all just little bits of touches of what the elephant is. The elephant in this case being actual listenership, actual spread and popularity. You get a sense of it. You do your best to try and gather from as many different places as possible to try and give yourself as complete a picture as possible. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's been, that's the approach. And I think that that's, I, in my opinion, I think that's the healthy approach to it, um, to anything online. The other thing that I think is really important is I think you kind of somewhere in the back of your head, in your person, you have to care about numbers a little bit. I, sure. You yeah. have to care a little bit about seeing numbers go up. Um, and, you know, it's called an MMO mentality, call it whatever. Um, it can, you don't want it to consume you, but you have to be like, Ooh, we're doing better on this. Ooh, this is, you, you have to just have that nugget because if you're the kind of person who's just like, I don't care about at all how this is going. I don't care if this is getting popular at all. I don't care about what my listens are. You're not going to be thinking about, I mean, it, your show is going to go up where it's going to go. You're not going to be steering that ship to any extent. Right. 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 
But if you're, but if you're, but if you are caring about metrics to some extent, trying to be like, oh, oh, interesting. When we tweeted like this, we got this many, and these tweets get more likes than these tweets. And you're in a way playing this game, and you know it's a dumb, stupid game set by you know Silicon Valley assholes trying to get people to stick on their platforms as much as they can. But if you don't yeah. care about that at all, you're going to have a harder time than if you have. Uh, I think I, trying to maintain a healthy relationship with how your how your show is doing, what the metrics are like, you know, and, and all that. And that's something that I think is true in our attention craved kind of creative universe that we are all playing in right now. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. My uh, my day job is uh, e-commerce marketing, and and it's very like I came into podcasting kind of with that background not realizing just how little data I would have, like, you know, oh, how yeah, little kind right. of quantitative, right? Like and there's nothing. The, nothing at all. And, and that's why when you can find the little things like you're saying that are optimized, like they're so valuable. And I, you know, I would tell execs at, at a prior company, like, Hey, you know, if we do this, we can increase our conversion half a percent. And yeah, they go, yeah, yeah. who cares about half a percent? I'm like, no, you should yeah. care about you half want, a percent. You want, you want, and then you we can want put to another be, half. Yes. Cause you start stacking them up. You and want suddenly to be you've the got 4% kind of person. Increase. You want to be the kind of person that'd be like, Ooh, half a percent. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then you also want to ask, okay, but how much effort for that half right, percent? You right. want to be bang for your buck too. That's the other sort of yeah. side of it too. That I think is important because I see a lot of people like, you know, they'll push and they'll do, they'll be doing stuff where I'm like, Hey, this is good. This is helping you, but you're definitely putting a lot of effort into something that's only helping you a little bit. What are the things that, what's the, what, again, you have to be kind of a, you have to kind of be a smart, lazy idiot, which is like, what are the things that the least amount of effort that can give you the most return on it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, because a lot of times you have to think that way because when you're starting out with this stuff, you're not getting paid. You're just you. And it's, you know, like a lot of the early, you know, Twitter and stuff. That's just me. It's just me sitting yeah. there. So it's yeah. like anything else is going to be, you're just going to have a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, sticking on Dungeons and Daddies for a second, because I'm making a note because I had another question that is totally unrelated. That I don't sure. want to forget. How how have you guys handled COVID? And and I know that you started recording remotely. Yeah. But I mean, you were about to do like your first like quote unquote live show. It was gonna be in Austin. I'm in Houston. So I was like, yeah, cool. I'm yeah, just yeah, gonna yeah. freaking road trip over there and, was, and check this so out. So it was funny because at the beginning of the year we were like if we were gonna do a thing with Patreon the South by Southwest. And I remember yeah, yeah. I remember asking some of my doctor friends being like, Hey, where's this where's this going? And they're like, Hey, this is going. And I remember yeah. sitting there at on the on the Southwest like portal buying tickets and being like, I'm gonna go for the <clears> refundable <throat> option. <laughs> I yeah. think this is a, and I was, I was like, turns out I was right. Luckily, but I was like, feels like right. a refundable is the smart play here. It's gonna cost more, but I think I'm gonna not go. I think we're not going to this. It didn't feel like it even at that time. Um, COVID, I think is is different. You know, a lot more podcasts now, and it's helped and it's hurt. I think one of the things that really took us a second, you can hear it, honestly, that took us a second to get used to was how to improv and interact with each other in a yeah, COVID yeah. sort of thing. Now, for certain episodes that are combat heavy, combat in and of itself has a very clean and very easy segmented process. It's DM asks a question, you say what you're going to do, the DM resolves it, move on to the next person. So it's a very one person at a time, let's go around the circle sort of thing. For some of our more freeform improv, it relies upon social cues, it relies upon us being in the same room together, and it relies upon the 10 milliseconds between when we say something and when everyone else hears it. So we were stumbling over each other pretty hard, especially early on. Um, because our nature was to, in the room, we're able to kind of bounce off each other, feel the energy of it and respond in that way. 
And yeah. so I think early on, I was terrified early on because of like, I was like, man, we're losing some of this like improv magic that I think is important and, and this back and forth. And I think we kind of got back onto it after getting used to the zooms and the, and the re recording remotely. It makes editing a little bit easier because everybody's a, a totally clean feed, but it's a different mindset. And now, honestly, now I'm terrified of going back to being in the same room and taking the wrong less. I, you know, I don't know. It's there's a, there's yeah. that X factor when it comes to trying to, you know, uh, for me, the thing that I think is the most important thing that I care about almost more than anything else is making sure everybody's at a hundred when for this show, I see it. I see it like our, our, uh, Ashley, our, um, uh, sorry, our, uh, community manager talks about some of her prior work with esports teams. I see it as the same way. It's like, how's everyone mentally? You need to, we're, we're here to perform now and we're here when we record as a yeah, performance. Yeah, you have to be so, on. You gotta be on. You got hey, if if people are feeling off that night, it's like let's reschedule. Like I don't want to. It's it's we're trying to do a show and we have some flexibility. Let's take advantage of all of this, that, you know, where we can. So you know, there's been a couple times where it's like, oh man, what a, you know, it's tough because you know, right? Like I literally, I remember this last couple of weeks, we're like, I don't know what election week is going to be like. I don't know how everyone's going to feel. We need to get uh, the record done before election week because I know everyone's <laughs> right. going to be distracted, and I want your mindset to be on the show. You know. Yeah. So. COVID's been, you know, I think we've been very fortunate in that we've been able to support ourselves through it. I, you know, I think that that's for, you can't talk about COVID at all without saying, Hey, you got, you lucked out. And I'm very, very thankful for, for lucking out in that way. Frankly, uh, having a podcast that's able to support, you know, our cast members financially through, through this very strange time. But then also, you know, when I think about the show dynamics, it, you know, there was an adjustment period and you know we're that's that's where we're at now so yeah yeah it's it's interesting so beth's first episode on my show was essentially a year ago like i don't know probably this week or something and so i don't remember where you guys were at patreon wise but i i think if i remember you were kind of just on the uptick of like really ramping up mm -hmm. if i remember because i remember saying to her i'm like yo i think you're about to blow up and she was like oh i don't know you know maybe and then having her on again recently and like you know she is someone who's been able to like you know, quit her admin job and really get right, to pursue right, right. creativity. Uh, what is it like? And obviously, like, you're not some, you know, great Lord handing out success to your friends. But but what is it like to be able to to be a catalyst for that kind of change in people's lives or in your friends lives of creating something together that, that can then provide for all of you? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I, I try and think about it. I don't I don't dwell on that so much as I dwell on the thing that unites us is a passion for making something entertaining, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, I think you can get a real big head real quick if you're like thinking about it in that way. So I, well, sure. know, for me, so for me, it's like, it's like, I'm very, I'm very happy that the show has found an audience. I'm very happy that the show is, you know, I think representative of a melding of creative tastes across all five cast members. I think everybody brings, I think like a truly collaborative thing, everybody mm -hmm. brings their, a thing into it. And the stew is not the same without all the parts, you know? And I think that it is a project that's, it's, it's very satisfying in the fact, in the sense that it's a project where I very much feel like the, the sum is greater than the, this constituent parts. Um, and, you know, so, so and and also again, more more than anything else, I am. You know, it was something that was very important early on. It was the feeling of like we need to justify our time on this. We need to make sure that right. we can. You know, and and I think that that's as as you know as that from that point of view, I'm very happy with sort of the way that it the way that it's gone. 
and that it hasn't deviated into something else that's unrecognizable from what we wanted in the first place, you know? Um, so, you know, and I think it's, and I think that creatively it's been a very rewarding process. Um, and I think everybody gets something different out of it for me, you know, you have to ask everyone else, but like for me, you know, I've been very interested and, you know, in terms of how this sort of character improv storytelling kind of works because a lot of times, you know, Matt and I talk about this in, in writing, you know, for feature film or television, you control every character and a feature film script is about one character for the most part, right? Or two characters, mm -hmm. right? You have your main characters, everyone else's ancillary that's meant to support this character. Um, and this character's story and this character's arc. Uh, this is a situation where you have five people with trying to do that for themselves. So it causes conflict in a way that is feels so different than when, you know, we sit down and we try and write out a story arc for someone, right? You might have an, like I have an idea for what I want Glenn's story arc to be the character that I play, but there's it, it, odds are it's not going to survive because it's going to be different because it's going to take into account everyone else's own thing and they may push it in a different direction and that I have either not even thought of and I will have to react to it as honestly as I can. That's a really weird, it, there's something about adversarial storytelling and character arcs that I think is really interesting that the D and D sort of archetype allows for. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I think people like listening to this stuff is because it's not just telling you a story from a to B and here's the character story, which, you know, we get in television and movies. It's telling you a story where everybody's trying to steer the car at the same time. And there's a chaos to it and an unknown sort of like what direction can this go? And it doesn't just feel dumb and random. It's like, Oh, this, wow. I never expected it to go in this way. And it's always in retrospect, very surprising and satisfying. And I think that that's part of the reason why tabletop uh, a podcast is such an interesting genre to listen to and why I think there's popularity there. Yeah, there's that inherent tension um, in the storytelling that, you know, friction causes heat. I don't know where I'm going with the analogy, but like that friction creates something new that you might not have made in a vacuum. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm going to take a real quick second here. I want to give a shout out to uh, another one of our sponsors on the show before we dive back in with Freddie. Big shout out to awesomedice.com. Um, I say it all the time and it might still surprise you, but they make awesome dice. Uh, it's a pretty self-explanatory company. But if you want really cool uh, shiny math rocks for your tabletop games, you can go to awesomedice.com, use the code ROLLPERSUASION, you'll save 10% at checkout, and uh, you'll help support the show a little bit. But they always have cool stuff coming out. They just released a whole bunch of new uh, sharp edge dice, which I know a lot of people are into. So if you like cool dice and supporting small businesses, go check them out, awesomedice.com, use the code ROLLPERSUASION. I want to jump off of, of Dungeons and Daddies real quick because, um, again, in, in my in my catching up on on what Freddie's been doing, deep dive that I did yesterday, um, I watched I I intended to watch one episode. I ended up binging like four or five of like Rocket Jump the show <laughs> um, on, on on the Hulu, and uh, I don't know. I, I I just want to talk about it because I was so struck by it, and this might sound like I'm just blowing smoke up your ass, but it was like such I don't know. It was such an entertaining and well done piece of work, if that makes sense. Like in particular, I'm thinking of the, the episode about a uh, Freddie's vlog and <laughs> y'all, if you have Hulu, you can go check this out. Um, I, I very much enjoy it as somebody who enjoys the creative process and has done, you know, minor amounts of, of filmmaking and production. Um, what, what struck me, not just about the show was like how y'all balanced showing, uh, production and behind the scenes, you know, with like how these, I mean, essentially shorts, I think when people consume them, we don't always think about 
the level of intentionality and effort that went into producing them. Yeah. So seeing that was certainly interesting. But what I really enjoyed about the the Freddy's vlog episode was you guys had this like moment. Uh, I think in I think yeah, it was Anthony where you're yes, filming this scene. Right. Anthony's like, "Is this racist?" Yeah. And it but it sparks like this whole conversation, which I thought was a really good conversation. But I think what I'm trying to say is it was such a it was a glimpse, an honest glimpse. I felt like kind of into production and into crew dynamics and into kind of the talks and discussions that get you from your point a to your final product which might be completely different from where you started right um and again that kind of like tension and storytelling of multiple personalities in the room so i I guess my my question around that is is like what was what was it like making that show going from making just stuff you put on the internet to then making a thing about stuff that you were making to put on the internet yeah, you know, I think it wasn't it wasn't too much of a of a departure from the sort of things that we had been doing online. You know, I think that we mm-hmm. always kind of wanted to. I think the one thing, especially our generation, gets is all of us watched a lot of DVD commentaries and DVD right. special features to learn how to make movies because that yeah. was what was available at the time. So having that sense of being mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of trying to show what you're doing in as honest a way as possible. And coming from a place of being like, man, if I was a kid, I would I I would have wanted I would have wanted to see something like this. I wanted wanted to see how this like happened. I thought was an interesting sort of challenge to approach uh, with that show. So that was like the goal. It's like you know, first and foremost, um, was to try and just be like, hey, here's here's what it looks like, you know, and here's what that what that process is, you know. Um, so yeah, I think you know, look, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think. Anytime you get the chance to make a big budget short and do it in our weird just the dumb weird things that you know we we, uh, our sense of humor i think was was a very rare opportunity i think prior to that point the only times we had ever been able to kind of do big budget shorts were always brand deal related right so it was always Mm, in promote it was always essentially a commercial for a thing and you know we had some leeway probably more leeway honestly yes definitely more leeway than like a commercial would like a tv commercial would but at the same time it was like yeah we got it we're shilling for a video game at the end of the day right so to be able to be like here's a really weird funny big idea just like let's just see where this goes uh was very satisfying you know and i think that there's you know i think some of those shorts that we did there i think are some of my favorite shorts that we've ever done uh online incidentally um i thought this was really funny but uh did you did you watch the ashley episode Fan yeah, version. yeah, the oh yeah, that was that was super good. Did you see who showed up at the end there? Oh yeah, Mercer when he jumps <laughs> in with the uh, weird horns. <laughs> yeah, and there's one of those male weird, orgy. It was just weird things where it was like, oh, that's right. I remember someone was like, hey, you guys, it worked with Matt Mercer. I'm like, no, we haven't. And they're like, yeah, he was. He was I'm like, wait, what? Like, it's a weird world of online. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, it was very satisfying to be able to to kind of just do these big shorts and try and document it as honestly as possible and sort of that that process. And I hope, you know, I think the goal of the show is to give people a taste of what that what that process is like. And I think it did a pretty good job of it. Are you guys so what what is Rocket Jump doing currently? Like like so we're, so, you know, we're trying, we're trying to do, do, we're trying to do film stuff. You know, again, I think that everyone always, it's it's funny because everyone's like, Why would you guys care about film stuff? You guys are YouTube guys. And it's like you don't uh, you don't get to pick the dream you had when you were a kid. And I think that we're sure. coming from a generation that watched movies and that's why I got into all of this was I want to make movies. And that's sort of the goal right now is to try and figure out how to do that and it's a very difficult and changing problem especially right now in the world of uh, uh, yeah. COVID, but especially also in the world where 
theatrical is kind of disappearing. Uh, mm-hmm. Netflix is doing a lot of stuff, but at the same time, you need an actor, you need a you know a name actor into it. The sort of heyday when we got into mil- movies of this Sundance indie film festival sort of thing definitely changed, right? Sundance, it's like you go to these film festivals now and you hear it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Amazon and Netflix bought all the movies. You're just like, well, that's, that's not quite the same world as it used to be. Right, yeah. So that's the goal, trying to figure that out. You know, we have, um, we still have, you know, shows and movies that we're working on and oftentimes that process is infinitely slower and infinitely more opaque than what you see online. Like, it's not like you're getting, you know, like we're not giving updates on everything because it's like, yeah, there's some updates on some of these projects, but they're not something I can talk about because we're negotiating a deal right now. And that deal, right, like, yeah. like, you know, we have some stuff where it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, this is big, big, uh, big development there. Uh, we're working on the contract. Uh, it's going to be another, you know, according to our lawyers. Like, yeah, it's probably another six months of back and forth. And it's like, okay, Jeez. well, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to, I can't, I have nowhere to talk about that. That's fine. Right. So stuff's happening, but just because you don't hear about it doesn't mean, you know, that nothing's happening. I think the the key is also like, yeah, I remember that we're, you know, we're in a Hollywood sort of, you know, entertainment industry company sort of world where, that's the norm, you know, and I think a lot of people are used to the online norm, which is you talk about absolutely everything and everything that's going on yeah. at any given time, you know, <laughs> just that, that full transparency. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think like cinema, Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, the film industry is going to look like uh, assume. Oh, no, you idea. Know, if I knew that I would be a billionaire. You, you would be just dropping money on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like asking how big do you think Bitcoin will get and when, right? Actually, I was, oh, I was half okay on that one. I was about right. I, I made enough on Bitcoin to buy my computers, but not enough to be able to retire. But then again, I didn't have enough money to retire on Bitcoin. But I got, I, into, sold, I, got into, I sold enough Bitcoin early to be filled with massive amounts of regret as to how early I sold my Bitcoin. Uh, when'd you get in? Um, I got in, so it would have been, it, it was early. It was when it was sub dollar. Sub dollar. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because, because I was buying to pay for like a Usenet subscription okay. and other crap yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought a hundred something Bitcoins off the bat and then just used them on Usenet. I, um, I got in right when they were starting to figure out how to get, um, like go to, go, you remember, do you remember this era of like going to seven 11 and being like using the, the deposit, the ATM things. And oh yeah, so yeah, I was yeah, getting I in, at, I got in at, I got in at about, it was about eight to $10 a coin. I was like, I'll okay. buy 10 of these. I'll see what's going on. And then after a certain point, I was like, oh, I got enough to be able to like build a new computer. So I was selling them off over a little bit. So I think I sold out right. around like, it was sub thousand, but it was like, yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm like 10. I'm like, it's not like, yes, it is a boatload of money if I sold at the absolute tip peak, but also it's not, I'm done with everything life-changing amount. So, the end, right. so I'm able to be like, eh, it's <laughs> fine. I don't care. Sure. Oh yeah. The question was, was, was cinema. Well, then maybe not what it'll look like, but, but. Do you see anything right now that concerns you for the future? I mean, I think like, again, everyone talks about like, oh, we're never going to go back to me. No, people can go back to movies. You can look at 19. They play the World Series in like 1929 or whatever, right? Didn't they? You can see yeah. it. There was a, we had a, we've had outbreaks in pandemic. We had the Spanish flu pandemic. It's not like no movies ever made after that again. This was that right. burgeoning beginning of the film industry. Mary Pickford made a film, uh, uh, you know, where she sneezes and everyone runs away and on the train car. You know what I mean? So it's like, nah, you, you come back to it. Yeah. I think people like going out. People like not being in their houses all the time. So I think that that sort of experience is going to be, by the way, if I had to guess, this is, I'll, I'll put this out there. Monkey's Pod guess. Avatar is going to come out. The next, the sequel to Avatar is going to come out. People are going to be so starved for going out to movies that it's going to break records again. And James mm-hmm. Cameron truly did make a deal with the devil to constantly make movies that make boatloads of money every single time. Yeah. And 
there's no explaining it. He went to the bottom of the Marios Trench. He met with Cthulhu and he made a deal with his soul. Um, I the think theatrical that checks out. I think theatrical comes back. I think, I think, I think that one thing, one thing Matt pointed out, and I think it's true. I think we're going to lose. There's a lot of TV that's really expensive right now, but nobody's watching, which is pretty mm-hmm. wild to me. And a lot of it's burgeoned and built up from, you know, for the subscription services that they're for. But there's a lot of shows that cost a boatload of money. That's like, nobody really is watching, you know? I mean, honestly, like if you really dig between the lines, there's a lot of Netflix shows where it's like, yeah, they pop off because they pay a bunch for marketing, but it feels, and it feels like it, but it's like, I don't know a lot of people who watch these shows or watch these right, movies. Yeah. I think you go back to a weird 15 sub $15 million indie world of smaller movies that have a little mini theatrical thing that can make a bit of a profit um, and I think this weird world of like really expensive TV starts to walk back a little bit. So yeah, I think it's all just like sort of shifts in that direction. Sure. Well, I know we're, we're running up on time a little bit, so I did want to throw something else at you. Um, one of my Patreon supporters, shout out to Sarah on Patreon. Really appreciate your support. She had a question for you. Okay. But I want to toss your way, which is more eloquent than any question I have asked yet. Um, so here you go. Uh, she says, you've had an extensive career and journey from YouTube to owning your own company. What would you say are the moments that put you on your current path? And, and was this what you imagined you would be doing when you were younger? So I would say first to answer the second part of it, absolutely not. Because I think when I, because right, like this is one of those weird things where it's one of those weird things where YouTube was not a thing at all when I was younger. And the idea of online anything in terms of fame, in terms of influence, in terms of all that, that whole world didn't exist. So it would have been absolutely impossible for me to imagine what I'd be doing right now when I was younger, definitely playing more video games than I thought I would have. I definitely was like, man, I didn't realize that you can keep that up. Um, but that, that I think is a big thing. And I think it's a big reason why my generation of YouTuber is a weird generation. Cause we're, I've always felt like the word in between generation in the same way that I'm part of an in-between millennial generation that didn't grow up with cell phones. I think you can split millennials into either grew up with a cell phone or didn't. And I'm part of the didn't crowd. We use Encarta. We had dial in internet, our social lives and our social dynamics and our aspirations were not defined by a world of broadband internet and of cell phones, which is a different world. So that's, I think a big part of it is just like how weird it is. And it's just trying to, you know, sort of stick to a principle of like, well, I want people to see my stuff and I like it when people see my stuff and consume my stuff. And I, and so that, that, that's the baseline. That's the only thing that can really uh, tie me to this sort of new world. And then the other side, I guess in terms of like moments that, that pushed for this present moment, I mean, I think just getting on YouTube was a big one. I think that that, that I think is basically set the tone for everything was being able to having being in the right place at the right time to be able to support myself and, you know, Brandon, Brandon and I back then to be able to support ourselves doing YouTube videos full time shifted everything because that shifted the way from, oh, I need to get a job as a PA. I need to get a job right, as an editor yeah. to do that. Oh, I can really do this myself. But this weird, like, I can do this myself or do this with a very, very small group of people, but it's not movies, but it's movie adjacent. So what does that mean? And the world is changing. I think that 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 sort of set it up because I don't see that much of a difference, honestly, between YouTube and podcasts. At the end of the day, it's all just, to me, entertainment that you consume online. Um, But being able to do it 
early on and be able to be fully bought into it. That's that I think has defined everything from that point on. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, well, dude, thank, thank you so much. Uh, it's been super fun chatting with you. Time's kind of flown by. Yeah, for sure. Um, we are going to stick around and do uh, do our little bonus segment. If you uh, support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, then you get access to the zone of truth bonus segments with all my guests where we chat about a subject that we make up on the fly. Um, usually, usually just something I, I like to hear things that my guests are into that I don't know anything about. So uh, Margaret <laughs> Weiss, who wrote Dragonlance, taught me all about this weird form of dog racing where dogs run and bounce off a wall and grab a tennis ball and come back. And she has a competitive dog racing team that does this. Oh, shit. So all that to say, the bar, I mean, there is no bar. We can talk about whatever we want. So um, I don't know what Freddie and I are going to talk about, but if you are a supporter of the show in your Patreon feed, you will get that bonus segment. So uh, make sure you go check us out, patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. I appreciate it. And Freddie, where can people find you, Dungeons and Daddy, Story, whatever? Where can they check you out? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at F Wong. I'm, uh, and also you can find our stuff, youtube.com slash rocket jump. And then the show Dungeons and Daddies is available where podcasts can be found and Spotify. And sp- <laughs> where podcasts can be found and Spotify, yeah. which feels like very soon is where the only place podcasts will be found. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, with the way they're buying everything. But uh, yeah, that's it, guys. And you can um, you can check out the show, of course. You can follow me at Roll Persuasion on Twitter and Instagram. Always love chatting with you guys there. You can go to RollForPersuasion.com to get swag and see stuff. I don't know. I'm always putting different shit on there. So please feel free to go check it out. Um, but thank you so much to each and every one of you, my listeners. I appreciate your uh, your comments, your contact, your emails, um, reaching out, letting me know that you enjoy the show. It helps me get cool guests like Freddie and uh, whoever else might be up next. So definitely keep an eye out for our next episode. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Help us, uh, you know, overcome the algorithm, trying to keep the man down. Um, So drop us a nice little review on there. We appreciate it. But until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.